I love that passage there from Matthew chapter 1. Emmanuel, God is with us. And in that phrase that we read, and I love how it just ends right there for us as we're reading this morning, we see God's love infiltrate the earth. He came down to live with us and amongst us and to live as one of us. And that is mind-blowing. But that's what his love did. And love is one of those words that in this season we hear all the time. I mean, love is, is everywhere. I mean, and not even just in this season, but movies that we watch, the, the love is just in our face constantly, this, this concept that our culture has about love. Uh, songs that we listen to. I mean, songs are written all about this, this idea, this uh, feeling, perhaps this emotion that we call love. It's absolutely everywhere. You, you go to weddings, and of course you hear 1 Corinthians chapter 13 read, where Paul talks about faith, hope, and love, but he says the greatest of these is love. Love is great. It's the greatest. It's the greatest quality about God that we can think of, that we can read about. God, in fact, is love, as John describes it in the Bible. But there's something unexpected that I want to share with you today. Something unexpected about love, and, and I don't want to overstate it, but tell you that we have to get this right. You know, hope and, and, and joy and peace, the things that we've talked about up to this point this Christmas season, those will come and will grow in those things as we come to know Christ. But we have to get love right. It's critical that we do. We have to get love right. So here's our big idea for today. Love does what religion can't. Love does what religion can't. So when we talk about religion, let's just talk about that for a minute. For a minute. What does that mean, religion? And, and, and there's a couple of, uh, of ways that we could define it, but, but I, and I got this from a couple of authors here, but I just kind of wanted to read two or three for you of a definition of what we, when we say religion, what are we as a culture meaning? One is seeking a way to be made right with a higher power, Okay. We understand that we don't have it all together and, and that perhaps there's someone or something that is a higher power, maybe God, right? In our instance, that's what we believe, you know, but that's religion. It's seeking to be made right with a higher power. There's also this one, a set of beliefs that explain what life is all about, who we are, and how we should spend our time. I mean, in, in that case, whether you're an atheist or an agnostic, or, or whatever, we're all religious. We've all got a set of beliefs that guide who we think we are and what our purpose is and how we should spend our time. Or what about this one? Religion, I obey God in order to get things from God. I obey God in order to get things from God. And I wonder if any of those resonate, perhaps for some of us, as to why we're even here this morning. Maybe those sound familiar. 
I want to look at aspects of biblical love with you this morning. In fact, there's going to be four aspects that I want to look at that, that what Jesus style love looks like. And the first thing I want to talk to you about is this, is what love isn't. All right. So I kind of like breaking it down that way. What love is not so that we can understand then what it is. All right. Mark shares with us in his story of Jesus's life, a, a religious leader comes to him and he asks Jesus a really fair question. He says, of all of the commandments that we have in our scriptures, in our Jewish scriptures, what's the most important, Jesus? Like, so if you and I might say, God, if I'm going to come to you and I'm going to give you my life, can we just boil it down to like one thing that I absolutely have to do in order to be a good Christian? All right. And Jesus answers, and we're going to find that in Mark chapter 12, 29 through 34. And I want to read that with you. It's Jesus' response, okay? He says, The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there, are, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and all of your understanding, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And then no one else dared ask him any more questions. You know, something about as you read through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus is always constantly butting heads with the Jewish religious leaders. But here's something a little unexpected, is that this guy actually agrees with Jesus. Jesus and he are kind of like, they're, they're tracking with each other, okay? Because they're both referencing Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God gave Moses the law. And, and this is straight from there, when Moses and the, and the, and the Jewish people received the law from God. And, and the love is described this way. I mean, it's word for word, what Jesus really quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, is that the greatest commandment is to love God with all of your being, and to love other people, putting their interests above yours, their cares and concerns above yours, for you to lift them up, just like every morning you would lift yourself up. And that's the, most, the greatest commandment, is to love God and love other people. Many of us have probably heard that before, right? Many of us have. Not everybody, but many of us have heard that. Love sums up and trumps all the religious rules, all the sacrifices, all the offerings, love sums up and is better than those things. And so what we find out in this passage, okay, is that love actually contradicts what you and I believe about religion, right? We'll just pick, pick one of those definitions we said about religion. That if religion were some way that we, that we follow God in order to get something from God, love, as Jesus defines it, contradicts that. Because love isn't the rules. It's not the, the, it's not the, it's not the religious obligations. It's something more. 
Matthew chapter 9, another group of religious leaders approached Jesus. He's very popular and very controversial. All right, so scripture includes a lot of religious leaders from the Jewish people coming and questioning him. All right. Now these confront Jesus because they're, they're upset. No, no, no. They're offended that Jesus and his disciples eat with disreputable people, sinners. They spend a lot of time hanging out in the company of sinful people. And in Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit for you, but this is Jesus' response to that question or to that statement of, why are you hanging out with a bunch of sinners? And in Matthew chapter 9, again, paraphrase, Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I came to earth to call to myself those who believe they are, I'm sorry, I did not come to earth. I should have just not paraphrased it and we wouldn't be, and we wouldn't be in this mess, but I, but I did. Let me try again. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I came to earth not to call to myself those who believe they are right with God because of some particular belief system, but those who know that they aren't right with God. So how can you and I do a little bit of a heart check this morning? There's a few things that we could do, and I've just written down a few for you. A little bit of a heart check to say, okay, is my heart bent more towards religious obligation and religion, or is it bent more towards love? And I've got a few statements here. Here's how you know maybe all right, here, here's a few, a few tests that you can use. Here's the first one. I feel the right to criticize others because their religious preferences don't match my own. Where's your heart? More religion? More loving? I determine who gets my compassion based on how they behave toward me and God. I judge my own goodness by people who seem to be less religious than I am, right? It's the old thing. It's like, well, at least I'm not as bad as they are. I find my faith convictions and the conversations that I have about faith with others are defined more by what I'm against rather than what I stand for. I tend to believe that my time and my money is mine to share if I find a person or cause worthy. You see, love surpasses and then therefore cannot be religious duty, obligation, rules, or tradition. It can't be those things. It must be more. Love does what religion can't. So I want to um, camp out for a little bit with you in a passage in John. In John chapter 13, all right, Jesus is having a meal with his disciples. In fact, it's going to be the last evening on earth he spends with them, right, before he dies. And he's washing his disciples' feet. And, and, and I encourage you to go and turn to this and read this at some point here this week because this is a beautiful passage. It's very, actually very Christmassy, all right, because there's a lot of love flowing. All right, so, so Jesus comes to Peter and he begins to wash Peter's feet, one of his disciples. And Peter's like, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. You're, this is below you. This is beneath you. You can't wash my feet. And Jesus looks back at him and says, unless I wash you, you'll never be with me. 
And then Peter's like, oh, well, then that case, all right, wash my whole body. And Jesus is like, no, 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 don't, don't miss the point. Um, those who have had a bath don't, I'm paraphrasing this one. Those who've had a bath don't need to take a shower. You're clean. My word has made you clean, Peter. But I need to wash your feet because I'm calling you to, to walk a journey with me, to walk with me. And it's got to be a journey that, that I lead and you follow. So Peter washes, or so, so Jesus washes Peter's feet. And as Jesus is washing Peter's feet, he says, but not all of you are clean. He's looking at the 12 disciples sitting in the room. He's like, Peter, you're clean, but not all of you are clean. And he's referring to Judas. Judas, all right? Judas, the one who will betray Jesus to be arrested. He'll lead the guards into the garden where Jesus is praying and say, that's him, arrest him. It's Judas. And you say, now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. You should say, now, wait a minute. Why is Judas not clean? But Peter is. Because yes, Judas will betray Jesus and have him arrested, but Peter will do the exact same thing. Peter will go out and deny after Jesus' arrest that he even knows Jesus. Peter will call curses down on Jesus and himself, and he'll run. So really at this, at this moment of this feet washing, you have two traitors. One that Jesus says has been clean, cleansed and one that apparently is not. And what's the difference? I'm going to tell you today. I'm going to tell you right now. The difference is critical. The difference is critical. Peter has a long rap sheet of being somewhat stupid. Can I say that? Okay. Peter's a long rap sheet. When, when, when Jesus takes him and James and John up to the mountaintop and Jesus is transfigured before them and, and Moses comes and stands with them and Elijah comes and, and, and heaven, I mean, Jesus is glowing with his radiant divine glory. Do you know what Peter does? He doesn't just sit there in that worshipful moment and take it all in. He's like, oh, I think maybe we should do something, Jesus. Maybe we should build some, some, you know, some, some tabernacles. Well, let's build a little shelters and, and, and for you. And, and God just says, God's voice says, Peter, shut up. Just shut up and just take, take in my son, okay? Peter's called out by Jesus to walk on the water. Do you know that story? Peter, Peter is called out by Jesus to walk out of the water. And, and Peter does. He steps out of the water and he starts moving. He's trucking along. But then as he sees the waves and he feels the wind, he starts to panic and he sinks. And Jesus reaches and grabs him and keeps him from drowning. Peter, Peter, Peter. There's one time where, where Jesus is talking about his, his soon-to-be impending death. And, and Peter looks at him and says, you're not going to die, Jesus. Don't you dare say that. And Jesus turns to him and says, well, don't you dare say that. All right, you've got in mind things of Satan, Peter, when you tell me I'm not going to the cross. I'm telling you this is God's will. Peter, come on, dude. And then Jesus is arrested in the garden. All right, Peter's with him. And, and, and Peter pulls a sword like he's going to fight these guys as they arrest Jesus. And, and Jesus is like, Peter, Peter, for the love of me, you know, put the sword away. 
That's not how this is going to go down. All right? So, so Peter denies knowing Jesus. He's arrested. He's let out. Peter's like, I don't even know the guy. He's asked by two or three people. I don't even know the guy. I've never met him. He calls down curses. Now, a little bit later, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus appears to Peter and the other disciples. And, 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 and eventually, on a beach um, on the lake, Peter and Jesus have this beautiful breakfast moment. They're sitting around a fire with breakfast. And, and, and Peter essentially repents. Jesus calls him back into ministry. And this relationship is restored. That's Peter. Well, what about Judas? Both of them are traitors, okay? Judas, John chapter 12 tells us, did you know that Judas was kind of the treasurer of the disciples? Did you know that? He kept the money that was supporting Jesus in his ministry. The food, the shelter, as they traveled from town to town, Judas kept the purse string. He was in charge of the purse strings. And John chapter 12 says that Judas didn't really care for the poor. In fact, he would help himself into that bag when nobody was looking, and he'd skim some of that money off the top for himself. Judas wanted Jesus to be a military leader. Judas wanted Jesus to to kick the Romans out and raise up an army, raise up a movement. In fact, Judas's posture towards Jesus is be aggressive, be stronger, let's go, let's, let's do this thing, Jesus. Be the person I want you to be, Jesus. This was Judas, all right? Be the person I want you to be. And if you're not, then this relationship's not gonna work out. And I might have to find a different way to get what I need, what I want. And that's exactly what he did. He turned Jesus into the religious authorities and had him arrested and murdered. Now you see, Peter was clean, Jesus says, at the foot washing. Remember that, let's go back to that. Peter was clean and Judas was not because how they responded to love. Judas was at the table. He had his feet washed possibly right before Peter. You understand this? They're both traitors. They both had their feet washed. The difference is how they responded to love. See, we have a tendency, don't we, to say, um, no, here... Some of us won't, will not experience the love of God. Some of us will not experience the love of God because we won't let Jesus correct us. And you know who you are. We won't let Jesus tell us that something we're doing or something we're thinking is not in line with God's will. And we won't experience love because we won't let Jesus correct us. And we won't let others correct us either. We don't let Jesus call us into the hard things, the difficult things, the things that feel impossible, challenging and hard. And we won't let him call into that, call us into that. In fact, we'll just kind of stay put. We'll just stay put. Stay where it's comfortable. We don't heed Jesus' invitation to return to him to come back to him. He's waiting for us. Come back. Come back. I, I, open arms. 
We don't want to. We don't let Jesus take the place of Lord. King, sovereign over your life. In fact, many of us think we can do a better job. You see the difference between Peter and Judas? Is that you can be loved by God and not be in his love. You can be loved by God and not be living out of his love. You tracking with me on the difference between the two men who had their feet washed, both who betrayed Jesus? See, though Peter will curse and betray him, Peter will approach Jesus with, with a humble, repentant, devotion, love for him. Every time, even when he's an idiot. And Judas will approach Jesus, who had, and Judas had received the same word from Jesus. But his response was not humble, and it wasn't repentant but to instead to negotiate the terms of their relationship. See, the difference is the posture of their hearts. The difference that you and I must understand is how they responded to love. And that same evening as the foot washing, chapter 15 of John. I'm going to read it from the message version of scripture. Listen to what Jesus says. I've loved you the way my father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. Kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. See, love postures itself in Jesus' example. What is Jesus' example of what love really looks like? He says, if you love me, this, I, I, I love this in, in one passage there in, in the message. Jesus says, if you love me, prove it by doing the things that I asked you to do. And notice that it's not, notice that he doesn't say, continue to love me or else continue to love me or you're not going to be invited into this thing. Instead, the posture that Jesus takes in John chapter 15, moments after he washes their feet, is continue in possession in the enjoyment of my love for you. Do you understand the difference? Continue to possess and enjoy and live in and live out of my love for you. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, the most worthy, because I and the Father are one, so, so I love you, the most unworthy. Love does what religion can't. Love does what religion can't. Listen, Romans 8, chapter 7, Paul says this. The mind governed by the flesh, that is the mindset outside of God's grace, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. 
Do you know what else I notice about love? Not just what it isn't and then what it is. And it's Jesus saying, this is what love is, is me staying close to the heart of the father. You should do the same. But I also see that that love has an enemy. Love has an enemy. And if you're going to get Jesus style love right, you have to understand that. That we, Paul says, we don't love God and others rightly. You don't. It's the most important commandment and we're not good at it. We, we actually can't be great at it, Paul says. And the truth is, you and I are God's enemy. You are God's enemy. I'm God's enemy. And sometimes we get wrapped up especially sometimes in this time of year, but, but there's, a, there's a political season coming up next year that'll be just as tantalizing and tempting. We get wrapped up to, to fight culture, to fight politics. We fight each other. We fight immorality. We fight the rules and for, and for tradition. And yeah, some of those things need to be addressed by the gospel, politics, and, tradi- and, and religious tradition and culture. Absolutely, those things need to be addressed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But sometimes we strive to be on the right side of arguments as if that were love. Well, if I'm just on the right side of that argument, that is love, and it's not. It's not what love is. See, the people who cheered Jesus on, who stood for the religious morals of their day, those were always the people that were furthest from Jesus in Scripture. Love is understanding this. You want to know what Christmas biblical Jesus-style love is? It's understanding that you are God's enemy, that you've denied You've betrayed, you've walked away, you've circumvented, you've gone your own way. You're hostile toward God. And so Emmanuel comes down to live among us to take care of that very issue in your heart and mine. So what do you do with this love? There's something that we, we must do, and I'm going to close by telling you these two things. One is in John chapter 13. Again, in the same passage, John chapter 13, 15, we've kind of been bouncing around there a little bit. Jesus says something a little remarkable, something unexpected. All right? He says, so, so, so what are you and I to do with love? Here you go. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. Now that's a little odd, isn't it? Because that command's not new. It was a couple thousand years old. It's an old command. But what Jesus is doing is he's flipping it on his head. He's saying, no, 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 no. It's new because it's, being, it's love in a new way. It's love being delivered in a new way. It's love from the cross. It's sacrificial. I'm coming to die for your sins and to blot out the transgressions that you've made against a holy good God. That's the kind of love that I'm talking about. That's new. And that's how you need to love other people. We are compelled this Christmas. It's only a reminder in this season. 
that we're compelled to love other people. We are compelled by Jesus's love to love in a new way and to invite invite other people into this new brand of love that we are still experiencing and exploring ourselves. Why do you think we talk about inviting people to Christmas Eve? That's why. Jesus says, love like I loved you. And when you realize that the cross occurred for you, when you realize that, then you start to realize that, that, that God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you a good life. And in those moments where you realize God doesn't owe me anything good, and, but yet God gave me his very life, that is when your heart is open to receive and to live out of God's love. Here's the second thing real quick. The second thing that you're gonna do with this. Mark chapter 12, when that religious leader said, what's the most important rule, right? And the religious leader agrees with Jesus. He's like, you got it, I agree with you. And let me tell you the most dangerous thing for the church today, for you, for my heart and yours, is that we equate agreeing with Jesus to, the, to loving Jesus. And there's a lot of people who will agree with Jesus for their whole lives, but never live in and out of his love. When you realize his love, you don't agree with Jesus. Oh my gosh. The only option for you is to fall down on your knees before him and worship him and say, whatever you command me, whatever you want for me, I will do. In the message version, Mark 12, 32 through 34, the religion scholar said, a wonderful answer teacher, so clear cut and accurate that God is one and there is no other and loving him with all passion and intelligence and energy and loving others as well as you love yourself. Why that's better than all offerings and sacrifices put together. And when Jesus realized how insightful he was, he said, you're almost there, right on the border of God's kingdom. And White Oak, as we approach Christmas next weekend, I've got one prayer and gift that I pray for you. Is that you are no longer living on the border of God's kingdom. You're no longer living with this idea that God's love was found in the cross. Like, yeah, God's love, like like one time and, and then he'll come back and take me with him. No, God's love is a thing that is flowing in and through you. It wasn't a one time thing. That you will experience that kind of love. You're no longer on the border, but you're living in Jesus's love and you're living out of Jesus's love. And that you're coming fully alive in it. Pray with me. Jesus, how do we thank you for your love? How do we define it? 
God, give us a willingness in our spirits because your spirit flows through us to love you as you want to be loved, to fall on our knees and say, you are king and you're sovereign. Command me and I'll do anything. May we live out of your grace and your mercy to follow you anywhere. I worship you, Jesus, for your love. Amen.